Property Marketing Made Easy, the podcast. Here's your host from Get Savvy Club, Anna Geary and Anita Baldwin. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Property Marketing Made Easy. Anna Geary and Anita Baldwin here. How are you doing, Anita? I am fabulous. How are you? Yeah, really well. Thank you very much. Today, we have a lovely lady that we, we actually met with a lady at a networking event, I think in Sheffield, a while back, and I'm impressed with what she'd done, what she'd achieved, and thought, oh, she might be a good podcast guest to to have on for you to listen to to be inspired by because she's kind of got a lot done in a very short space of time anyone could be a podcast guest with us as long as they're related to property or some of the skills or motivations or inspirations you need to be successful in property um so if you think you've got a fantastic story to tell then get in touch with us because you could end up being on our podcast there's no point just having huge names on your podcast because people, <laughs> there we go then <laughs> do you know what i mean like sometimes i go on youtube same bloody people that are on each other's podcasts or thing i've heard them on that podcast then i hear they're on like this kind of merry-go-round usually when they've got a book out obviously the same people like pop up everywhere but it's just nice to hear hear from people that are not massively ahead of you because what's it emily say she was started in like 2000 and five years ago yeah 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 just just five years ago so, so where that. could you be in five years time if you yeah. just went for it so if you perhaps are listening to this because you've maybe done a bit of property training or thinking about it or been to a property network meeting or even just done one of the free webinars and you're thinking about property but you're like i don't have a clue where to start a year goes by you know another year goes by and you still don't do anything but think right okay in five years time where do I want to be and what's my first move to get me there and then have a listen to Emily talk about what she did and how she got there and just think that's not so unachievable is it I mean she's doing property or she started off doing property in Scotland so you know and then just picked a different area so her story I think is something that anybody can achieve it's not something that you know she's had loads of luck or she did it at the right time or whatever she's just systematically learn her stuff and then move forward take an action let's get into it if you're enjoying property marketing made easy the podcast from get savvy club use your podcast app to rate follow and subscribe so my name is emily um, i'm a property investor and uh, my background is that i grew up on a small island called shetland which i'm actually in at the moment so it's maybe oh, a small you had the uk um someone yeah. on your show i lived in edinburgh for years and years and i got into property with my husband. Um, I have a young family, currently a three-year-old and a nine-year-old, so that is a handful of the best times, but it's Mm. wonderful. So yeah, basically um, got into property and I've been doing that for about five years now. Alongside the property, I do a bit of coaching, mentoring, but my background, very similar to both of you, was um, advertising agencies. So my background from the get-go was in marketing and all that kind of lovely stuff but for other people so yes. that that's, yeah. that's where i kind of got into things from oh, so how did yeah, you the find that- as me weren't you can do it can like spend millions of pounds of budgets and you know run massive <laughs> marketing campaigns and then suddenly gotta market yourself and it's not about just knowing what to do is it no it was very very much you know what to do you know how to tell other people to do it but to do it for yourself yeah it's just uncomfortable I think I think that was the main thing thing, yeah but you know it's all part of that getting over yourself isn't it in order to be (laughs) successful yeah absolutely very much a case of if you know you would have told someone else to do it then stop I think that I think the problem is when you've been in that background you're so used to everything being pixel perfect everything being you know looked over to the ninth degree and you've got chain of command who are all going to look over everything and make sure everything's perfect before it goes on you know UK television yeah 
if you're just posting on your own Instagram, it doesn't need to be perfect. It just needs to be done. And I think mm. that, that that has yeah. been a lot of my mantra going through the entirety of property stuff, going, it doesn't need to be perfect. It just needs to be done. Because- good enough is good enough. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's fantastic, yeah. And I think a lot of people will relate to the fact that whether you know marketing or not, going out and mm. talking about yourself and how great you are, which you've got to do because no one says it about you if you don't say it about yourself and no one will know it if you don't tell them. And that is uncomfortable, whoever you are, isn't it? I often look at it that way as well, that actually sometimes being from a marketing background, it makes it harder because you're trying to make everything look really professional and this perfect and this font and that colour. And actually I find it easier for people who have, especially if I'm kind of coaching someone starting from the beginning, if they have no concept of what everything needs to be absolutely perfectly, then it's a little bit freeing. They can just go and do it. (laughs) And actually the big businesses now and the big brands are working really hard to try and make themselves look more personable and more real and have a lucky face and you know get promote the people within the business because these big faceless corporate entities that make billions are just not attractive to people anymore no and and that's it you've you've got to dig a lot to find out who you are and I think that is a very scary and vulnerable thing to do Mm. to be able to figure out okay I'm great at looking at other people and saying, you know, that brand, that's what makes them different. But me, oh, I'm just another property investor. What do I have to offer? That that yeah. takes a bit of time, I think, and a bit of confidence to really dig yeah. into that. So why did you get into property and what was the first thing you did? So we got into property because I guess it would always been something at the back of my mind being that my dad had done some property investment. Essentially, he had run a business and he looked at property as a pension something that if he was going to retire, something that if he needed to pass on to his family, he was going to have something there. And it wasn't it wasn't a massive portfolio by any stretch of the imagination. He had a couple of buy-to-lets, but he understood the necessity of being self-employed and ha- needing to have something um, in the background. So when we were living in Edinburgh, um, we had, we'd had my daughter by that point, we really were looking at going, okay, what's next? I, I work in an, an agency and while... I get paid fairly well right now. I don't actually have a pension. Um, You know, it's that whole kind of work hard, play hard ethos. And it was a case of going, we want to buy our own house and we want to do something. We need to look forward and and say, well, how are we going to support our our family? Because right now I've been on mat leave. I didn't really pay into my pension to begin with. It's absolutely the worst saving pot (laughs) there was out there. And my husband wasn't much better in reality either, being both in kind of private firms. That's what we looked at. And we essentially we went we went and got educated fairly quickly on that. And we spent a lot of money on education. Mm-hmm. We knew that we'd we'd read the whole rich dad, poor dad, how to recycle money side of things. And we talked to a few people and they just accountants, um, a mortgage broker who had never heard of the kind of the BRR method. Oh. And thought we were crazy. They're like, that's not how you do it. You just have money, you buy a buy to let you save up and you do it again. So for us, being able to go out and find some level of education that showed you how to do that, we thought, right, okay, we're going to invest our money in that. And essentially, that's what started us off. And we really very much kind of thought, we're going to do this, we're going to spend this money, it's two feet in or nothing. And we're going to go for it. Because my job was, although I worked at that point four days a week, I was working in reality seven days a week. Yeah. There was always something to be done. There was always my day off 
always had a deadline for some artwork or something yeah. or some ad going you out. Can't, you can't do marketing like that, can you? Because you can't go, oh, just wait a week until I'll sign that off because then, oh, well, the campaign is delayed by, you know, yeah. what have you. So it doesn't work like that. And especially when you are essentially the team manager, yeah, you can't let people, you know, I had a responsibility there to not throw them under the bus just because I was off. So, yeah, it was, it was, I think that was a very big push was to be like, okay, how are we going to find a pension? How can I actually make pickup time for my yeah. daughter at nursery? She was in yeah. probably one of the earliest, came out one of the latest. Oh. And we, we had no family around us to help with that. So really, I think that was a big push is support our family. Couldn't afford to have a second child. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, in reality, that's why there's quite a big gap between them. And it, we just looked at that going, OK, how, how do we move forward? And property essentially was the answer for that. Yeah. So what was the first thing you did in property and, and how scary was that? So the first thing we did was just a small buy to let. And we still have that one. That is in a village called Cumbernauld up in Scotland. Oh, yeah, I've heard of that. I don't know why I've heard of that. It's, oh, it's, I know, because that's where you send the flipping money, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> the tax. In the tax, <laughs> yes. Thinking, I've heard of that, but not in a good way. Yeah, HMRC Convenal, <laughs> that's where I send our money all the time. I thought you was pay, pulling a bit of a face about it, Anita. <laughs> you don't have, like, fond memories oh, of it. Bad association. <laughs> Do you know when you've, like, had a dream about someone, like, but you can't think why you don't like them? <laughs> Anyone here from Cumbernauld, don't take offence at that. It's, it's, it's the government. We know it's the government and not you. So, so yeah, we bought a two-bed flat in Scotland. We have a lot of those kind of two up, we call them two up, two downs. It's kind of the cottage flats. Lovely little rental properties. And, yeah, we, we bought that one. We used what was left of our own funds. We used some private investment as well. It wasn't scary in some ways because we knew what was required to do the strategy. We knew all the steps. It was just the case of we realised that we were going to have to go through that process to understand how everything actually came together, how we really worked with the builder in this scenario, how we actually went through that refinance process and for sure there were there were learnings uh, in that our our builder took down two ceilings without really our permission mm-hmm. so that added money onto it um, in terms of dumping all that old plaster and lath so since then I've decided never to touch a plaster and lath wall board it if you can it kind of almost all went to plan we we what we hadn't realized is that we we probably put a lot of the refurb on credit cards and when it came to refinance they were like eh-eh, you've got too much lending out but we solved that in a couple of months. And as I said, we've still got that buy to let going and we've got a lovely family in there at the moment and we've never had any issues with, with the people in there. So it's yeah. been a fantastic, that was a fantastic start into property for sure. So what do you mainly do in property now? Are you still on like single buy to lets or have you moved on to different strategies? So... I will. I still love a buy to let. Obviously, yeah. I think the the market's a little bit trickier um, in some aspects compared to where it was when when we were looking 2018, 2019. But I still think there's absolutely a place for those buy to lets because they will be your bread and butter when things go up and things go down. They will yeah. always be there. So uh, buy to lets and flips, they were very much the strategies that we started on and, and being as creative as, as we could in the purchasing and or um, you know, things like assisted sales. So that's what we did predominantly. We moved from Edinburgh to Sheffield a year and a half ago. Um, and that was very much a case of probably got a little bit bored of mm. doing the same thing over and over again. So we moved to England predominantly just 
to, I think, take the blinkers off a little bit, just open our eyes to saying, okay, we're in an area where there's a lot of population, a lot of stock, a lot of opportunity. And so currently the projects we're working on is a nine unit, so a nine flat apart hotel that is uh, currently an office building, three grade two listed office buildings in Monoblock, oh. and we're turning that into wow. an apart hotel. God, I'm not sure is- I'd ever touch a listed building. I just always hear so many nightmares about them. There's yeah. that architect in town that's got that one that looks so nice, but yeah, obviously... Especially with trying to renovate and turn it from yeah. one thing into another, but with all the listing rules and regulations... I think it depends on the actual building itself with this one. I mean, I went straight into it. I went, this was changed into offices in the 80s and it's polystyrene tiles and floor cart tiles. And there's it's nothing. Working places like that. You, know, <laughs> you, you accidentally lean on a wall and it moves. <laughs> so within this building, we've got windows. That's a big thing. We're not having to replace them all, thank goodness, because that, that's the big cost. But obviously you've got a little bit more challenges in terms of listed building consents and all that kind of stuff to go through. But in reality, as, as long as, you know, we don't have massive ceiling roses or ornate cornicing, we've got some fireplaces and that really is about it. Just the process takes that little bit longer. Mm-hmm. So I don't think they're all scary. There certainly are some buildings I'd look at and be like, oof, okay. You know, we're keeping the structure pretty much the same. That's what the, the beauty of this building was, is that I came in and I could quite easily see, okay, that's really nicely divided up. I'm easily going to be able to turn that into flats essentially yeah that that one again it's not as scary as it seems because it's a natural progression as you kind of go into it yes it wouldn't be your first property deal perhaps no after five years of doing it so will you be keeping that one Yes, we'll keep that one. We'll have a management agency essentially deal with the day-to-day because when you have a a small family, I'm not looking to be called out at 3am to make my way down to sort out a guest issue. So we'll put in a lot of systemization, a lot of processes, um, a lot of, as much as we can, smart technology, so locks and heating and all that kind of stuff. As much as we can, that it could be managed remotely, But, of course, you have to have a ground on the team that can be called out if you need to. I think the biggest concern with something like in a park hotel is your fire regulations because their worst idea is that you've got lots of people transient in nature going in and out, no reception desk, nobody there to man any fire procedures. So that's the biggest challenge and something like that that we've kind of got to get everything nailed. So how did you actually leave the job then? Because if you're working the job, so you're having to like do the job and the property stuff to start, how long did it, because obviously a buy-select wouldn't enable you to just leave a job. Um, How did you bite the bullet and be able to to do that? Or did you just kind of go for it and work it out along the way? A little bit bit of the latter in some ways. So... I left my job after 18 months of starting the property. That's not long. I think in that process, it wasn't a case that I had bought exactly the enough buy-to-let to completely match my wage. But where I was looking, we actually had a pipeline of deals and we were doing flips. And some of those flips, because they were direct to vendor, which is my ideal strategy if I you know if you could if I could make everything yeah. direct tender that would be lovely um, it's not always easier but it's I think it's more fulfilling and we knew that they were going to be very very good deals um, and we had kind of lined them up and in a way that was like okay I know what's coming up we know if we turn over a minimum profit on these I can replace my salary in two flips essentially yeah. and with that we I, I guess I was at the stage of work where things were just challenging personnel challenges and things like that. So I I had an opportunity there to go, right, do I leave now and go, what am I going to do and just work this? Or do I stay and 
all my headspace be taken up by the property. And I think it was at that stage where my husband was in a good job, a, you know, consistent job. So from a mortgage ability point, so I phoned two people, phoned my broker, said, can we still get mortgage? They said, yep, if you remain married to your lovely husband and he keeps his job, <laughs> it's wonderful. Yes, bless him for putting up with that. Mm-hmm. And then my accountant basically saying, right, do I, from your point of view, is, is this risky? Am I thinking crazy things here? And I remember him basically saying at that point, going, if you can do what you've done in one day a week with a young child, I'm pretty sure you're going to be able to replicate that success, you know, if you can work at it full time. And, and that, was, that was the plan. Thought, so right, is your husband's still in his job. He's just moved to Sheffield with it. No, he, he left his job just over a year ago now. Oh, okay. So our goal was to move into Sheffield, get settled, and then both focus on it full time. So I can't say either of us are full time because obviously we've got kids and you know, they're in, one's in school, the other one's part time in nursery. But between us then yeah, we, we basically are focusing on the property um with all yeah. our time. And how lovely to be able to be there for the kids, you know, soon well, mm. I guess your oldest is at the stage where a moment's notice you have to go in for assemblies and all things like that. And they never they never think you might have a job and a life and things like that. It's always oh tomorrow it's assembly. Oh okay. Uh, but how lovely that you can do that. That was a massive Massive motivator, and as I said earlier, we, we we looked at finances and thought we can't afford to have a second kid because the nursery fees were, gosh, they were they were probably close to a thousand pounds, which was about the same or slightly more than our mortgage at that time. It's like who can pay three mortgages for you know a mortgage and two children? So that was that was a massive part for us. Going if we want to be in the position to have the second child, then we we had to change something we were doing. It just actually wasn't going to work. Yeah. I think the single best thing the government can do for the country is to heavily subsidise childcare. And yeah. so people who are professional and workers and think these things through can afford to have children and carry on, you know, working and what have you, and don't just not have children. And we want to work. That's the thing. Yeah, you know, exactly. It's, and you're useful to society. So Yeah, want to work, want to support it. The more we can work, the more we can bring onto the economy, the more we grow businesses, the, yeah. the more we can do that. But um, it's sad in that respect. And But at the same point, you know, we look sensibly at that and go, OK, can we manage without family here with on our own? having two kids and I, I enjoy working you know I enjoy having yeah. something to do outside of that but of course I then absolutely then adore and love the time that I get with my children because I feel fulfilled in what I've done in the day yeah, yeah. that my time with them exactly then. and it is difficult so I didn't have any family near me and um, was like solely responsible so you do put your children into childcare so you can work which is great but then anything goes wrong and you're the one that gets called up and you don't have anyone to go oh could you just pick up so and so so I can just finish you're the always one saying oh sorry they're ill again and luckily for me my children weren't that bad actually um, but there was obviously the odd time and you, you feel you always feel like you're doing a half-assed job at parenting a half-assed yeah. job at your job and you're just like never quite nailing anything are you yeah and and the guilt with that is not great and I come from a small island where the pace of life is that much slower and you do have that family around you. And we were brought up in that way that mum was always there. Dad worked hard, but, you know, the family was there. And so then suddenly in a city with a kid and your jobs and you, you feel you feel a guilt because that's not the same position, like being the last person in the door to pick up at nursery. You're just like, oh, no, that's that's horrible. Yeah. I'm so sorry. And yeah, that that was a that was a massive driver to say by the time my daughter goes to school, I want to be out of the job. I want to be able to go pick her up. And 
She went to an after-school club for, I think, two months, hated it, really did hate mm-hmm. it. But I knew at that point I'd had it in my notice. I was like, right, it's you've only got a few more weeks and then I'll be able, you'll never have to go to the after-school club and I can come pick you up. So that was the best feeling to know that, okay, we've we've managed to make that work. My kids used to say, can't we try the after-school club? I was like, you're so lucky we get something to pick you up. But I think it's because they felt like, Oh, I'm missing out on something. They could obviously go to the after-school clubs that are like football or whatever it is. But mm. yeah, the actual like set one that they had. I think that, yeah. especially my daughter, I think she thought, oh, I'm missing out on something here because some of these kids get to go over to there. And I was like, no, you should be grateful that I get to pick you up. So yeah, yeah funny, isn't it? I never but, <laughs> Exactly. What's the big plan for you then? What Obviously, you've got this apart hotel on the go, but what's the, what is the bigger plan? What, what do you want to do in the next like five, ten years? That's something that I, I work quite hard on in terms of the visualisation and the kind of the goal side of things. It's something I struggle with. I think some people find that really easy and it's quite material driven. For me, it is, it is purely about time. So, of course, we have a lot of time. We're working very hard at these strategies right now. And, and a lot of things like the Apart Hotel is going to be it's going to be a big change in terms of the, the, the goals and the projection that we're on. For us, the one thing that I learned that I love doing, and it's, it took a while to figure this out. I don't know if either of you kind of found the same thing in terms of where to go. But when I was in the job, it was really about working with the team. The, the clients and that side of it, that was the job. But I enjoyed the team. I enjoyed seeing them come and, and progress and, and continue through that. For me, definitely, obviously, the time with the kids, the traveling, the ability to go and make experiences, um, that's the family goal. But what you know, my goal is definitely about giving back one to other people wanting to follow the same journey. I enjoy their, I actually find their success a lot more fulfilling sometimes than we get a deal and I go, oh, okay, now the hard work starts. Whereas someone else gets a deal, I can celebrate for them because I'm like, that's so amazing. Because so you're excited. not going to do the hard work that comes with it. Yeah. <laughs> and you're just like, that's well, great. You're just there supporting. Other, yeah, and seeing other people tick those goals. So definitely going down that journey of supporting other people to do the same thing and doing it in a way that's just fun. And yeah. you, you know the way that I want to do it. We I work with a business partner, and we we've talked about going abroad and doing you know retreats and stuff, and just really life changing kind of stuff. Stuff we wished we had access yeah. to right at the beginning. But then there's also the charity side of things. So that's something me and my husband have been working on a lot. Is about you have to you have to give back. You can't just purely focus on yourselves all the time because then you forget where you've come from. You forget your grounding element. So charity is a big focus on what we're doing. We set a goal basically of doing a thousand wishes for Make a Wish Foundation. Um to do that, I think they say an average each wish costs about three point three uh three thousand three hundred pounds. So we looked at that at the beginning going, oh my God, we don't have nearly three and a half million pounds. But we've made our mission over the next 10 years to make sure that we facilitate that. So while we're growing our children, they're, you know, helping our family, our children, all that kind of stuff that we want to set in place. That is important, but actually the driver becomes the charity, the supporting other people and and, and that giving backside. So however that happens, you know, I think we, we look at vision boards, we think you must have an idea of how that's all going to happen. I have let that part of me go that control yeah. element and that's just good going, yeah because it's not about you deciding how it happens is it like no, it just it's have the goal up. trust and you'll find those opportunities mm-hmm. and we have other opportunities lined up now over the next 12 months that we're looking at going gosh those are massive opportunities so bigger apart hotel projects new build we're, we're working on one that's a five that's uh, six 
units, new build development. So there's in the pipeline, there are quite considerable jumps now because that goal got so big. It's like if we need to find three and a half million pounds of liquid spare cash. Extra cash, yeah. (laughs) The the goal for that. And that's not necessarily going to all be our own money, but might be a case of going out and doing charity events, creating something in the property world that facilitates that as well. So it's all part of that bigger goal, but that's going to take action and and, and focus towards making that happen. You've achieved an awful lot in five years. You have to pinch yourself to think how far you've come. It's something that I don't think I'm that good at doing is looking back and celebrating because when your goals are that big yeah at the other end always thinking about what you haven't done yet yes and that I would say is absolutely one of the things I know that I'm not good at and I need to be better at I don't know sometimes you feel it's a little self-indulgent to be like oh how wonderful it is and look at this wonderful (laughs) stuff you have such big goals to work for other people and you know in terms of charity and giving back and that side of it but there are times where you look back on your Facebook memories and you're like, gosh, that wasn't that long ago. We did an awful lot. We yeah. did an awful lot to get to that stage to then be able to find ourselves in this position. So at times, yes, but it very swiftly then moves on to, okay, well, that's lovely, but okay, now we're focusing on the next thing. That chart, you know, the ones where it kind of starts small and it makes, it's a big difference at the time, but then it suddenly goes up. You're like, right, we've got, we've got to get there. <laughs> yeah, exciting stuff. So two questions we ask all of our guests. And the first one is to recommend a book that's helped you along your way. So I don't know if you've had this one recently, but it's one that when I talked earlier about the fact that the vision side of stuff is something I struggled with, because, as I said, I don't see it in I don't I think some people just don't have that imaginative thing where they can visualize things Mm. very clearly or. You know, some people, my husband's very good at it. And he actually read a book first he put me onto, which was Manifest by Roxy Nafuzi. There was a bit, just a small passage in it where it talked about the fact that, okay, maybe if you can't visualize something in detail, you can visualize a feeling. You can meditate on what that feeling is. And that feeling of one of it is actually just being able to go, oh, okay, cool, everyone else has taken care of everything today and not have that constant feeling of, what about this, what about this, what about this? Mm-hmm. And that's something I'm definitely working towards, that feeling of sitting there, just total relaxation. I don't know that I felt that. No, <laughs> me neither. I thought it's a thing. That's because of the sort of jobs that you two had. In your I, jobs, you couldn't do that, could you? No. In that job. There's no way any day in your job. Imagine if you... We were always... Visualise, Emily, visualize. you'll back me up on this. We were always working six months ahead so when we're looking at dates we'd be like in the summer thinking about christmas campaigns and planning thinking oh god the christmas break everyone's going to start and and it's only july but we'd always be so far ahead and worrying about that yeah and then as you go to self-employment that doesn't get any better because it just opens up a whole new can of worms so one of my visualization bits is it's about those feelings and it's creating those feelings and those spaces and one of them so at the moment we're back home in Shetland that's where both our families are from it's hundreds of miles away from you know where we are now and it was just one of those small visualization things I thought there's going to be a nice day and we're going to go to the beach and we're all going to go swimming in the sea and the kids are going to be running in and out and that visualization that putting out there was something I thought that's the feeling of just sitting there going oh this is beautiful this is the most beautiful place on the earth and it's a sunny day and the kids are having fun. And that's what I visualised for this holiday. And that was some point last week. It was amazing. Last Thursday was a beautiful day. So that I think that book changed how I then view my goals and not put the pressure on to go. Not beat yourself up about not visualising well enough. 
yeah well exactly <laughs> and it's okay to just go that's my feeling let me describe that feeling and let me just yeah. meditate on that feeling as opposed to it's going to look like that and it's going to cost that and it's going to be like that and you know I find those details very hard yeah, because that's your brain still whirling around, isn't it? And that's yeah. not a relaxing feeling at all. The second question we ask is, what makes you suffy? I think the biggest thing that has helped me and progress as quickly as we have done has been around the creativity of finding and making deals happen. So that comes a little bit from the marketing background for sure, but it comes from the way of going, okay, we, we get told to do things in a certain way because that's the best way to do it. However... Sometimes ask questions, and I'm always asking questions. My sister's probably fed up. I phone him probably once a week to ask him, oh, how does that work and how can I do this? And for me, it's about creative deal structuring, and it's about meeting a vendor and not assuming it has to fit in this box or this box or this box and going asking questions, listening, and taking that information away quite often because you can't always make a decision there then, and speaking with your team asking questions, putting it all together and then coming up with something that's a win-win for the vendor, for me, for my investors or whomever else is involved in that situation. And I think sometimes it's that taking a step back, not assuming that it has to work in a very specific way, listening and as I said, just asking questions. So it's not hard to do, but you need to practice it and you need to learn how to do it. And um, I think that can change your success in property massively definitely fabulous so how happy are you if people reach out and ask you some questions and how can they find you absolutely so instagram's probably where i do most of my property side of things so my instagram is emily in property <gasps> even uh, after we told you all about linkedin oh <laughs> emily yeah so um i find that most investors find me on instagram that's where i do most of that kind of communication linkedin absolutely so if you look me up emily smith on linkedin you'll find me there i love my linkedin i actually use that i find that works best for me for my investors and for professional contacts because that's where my background had used it previously yes. as well yeah so i'm happy to any conversation there i guess i'm on instagram more than i am generally day-to-day -day on linkedin but those two are the best places to catch me. And you can find me on Facebook as well. That's a personal profile for Emily Smith. But find me on Instagram and I'll quite happily share anything else there. Yeah, because it's going to be kind of hard to find the right Emily Smith, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> on Facebook. Even yes. like my name is, isn't that common? There's loads on, on Facebook. Yeah, so imagine like an Emily Smith, it'd be hard. So Emily and Property on yeah. Instagram is going to be an easier way to, to find yeah. it. If you're enjoying Property Marketing Made Easy, the podcast from Get Savvy Club, use your podcast app. To rate, follow, and subscribe. So fabulous. Yeah, lovely, Emily, and um, really interesting stuff. And also, it just kind of makes you think, like I said before, really, that, you know, anyone can do it. Just an ordinary person, just moving forward, making mistakes, rectifying them, making money, and has been able to leave her job, which is fantastic, you know, in, in five short years, obviously successful at it and looking for the next opportunity. And what I like is people, um, kind of do bigger and better things so you know she's talking about a, quite a big development now and and five years ago I bet she 
wouldn't have even considered that. I wouldn't even have thought that's something she can do. But, you know, in five years of learning, here she is moving on to this. Yeah, it's brilliant. Very inspirational. So if you want to win the book that she recommends or um, recommend somebody else to come on our podcast or even come on it yourself, then let us know. To win the book, you just um, take a screenshot of this episode, put it on social media saying how awesome it is and tag us in and we'll put you in the draw. Emily does speak a lot about what helped her massively is embracing social media and the marketing elements of of getting out there. So obviously that's what Anita and I help with. So if you're thinking, oh, no, I want to do more. Don't just help with it. We sort it out. Yeah, we sort you out. Sort you out as a person, not just sort the social media. It's not about just, it's, it's not about, it's not about like, What's put where though, is it? It's about the confidence. It's you know, it does come from the confidence and the accountability seems to be the main things that the that, that people need that need help on, not just that, you know, you probably could Google what content to put out. But then it's like, ah, now why is it still not so easy? Because it's it would be more than that, it'd be more than that you don't know what's put out there. Yes. Anyway, have a fantastic rest of the day, whatever time it is you're listening to this and get in contact. We like to hear from people and do us a review. We like those too. Anyway. Yeah. Have a great day. Bye. Bye. That was Property Marketing Made Easy, the podcast from Get Savvy Club. If you enjoyed it, connect with us on social media. Just search Get Savvy Club.